0: Chapter twelve of Janet of the Dunes This LibriVox recording is in the public domain Recording by Roger Moline. Janet of the Dunes by Harriet T Comstock Chapter twelve The Master of Bluff Head had the disconcerting impression borne in upon him that the getting ready for winter at Quinton had a moral and spiritual significance, as well as a physical one he felt a cold exclusion round about him, as if the good people did not quite know what to do with him. He belonged to the summer. For him and others of his world they had braced for action and thawed out to the extent of making him feel he was not intruding while occupying his own house. But they resented his prolonged stay and necessary infringement upon their well-earned liberty. Not that Devant imposed his presence upon them. He rigidly observed a decent dignity, and he was more than willing to pay a high price for any service he required. But James B., while accepting large wages, fretted under the necessity of holding to a sure thing while a vague possibility lay outside. James B. had learned, in his secret way, THAT CAPTAIN BILLY HAD BEEN TOLD, WHEN HE WENT FOR THE PHYSICAL EXAMINATION AT BAY END IN SEPTEMBER, THAT HIS HEART WASN'T UP TO THE REQUIREMENT. A LESSER MAN WOULD HAVE BEEN DROPPED FROM GOVERNMENT DUTY WITH SUCH A HANDICAP AS THAT, BUT THE PHYSICIAN, KNOWING BILLY AND HIS STEADY LIFE AND GOOD RECORD, PASSED HIM FOR ANOTHER YEAR. JAMES B., LIKE A VULTURE, HAD BEEN HOPING FOR A PLACE ON THE CREW FOR MANY A DAY, The hope gave an excuse for idleness. Eliza Jane knew Billy's symptoms and was willing to countenance James B.'s indifference to other business propositions of a steady nature, while that possibility of the crew was apparent. However, there was no reason why James B. should not turn a penny in a temporary way at Bluff Head while waiting, and that Eliza Jane insisted upon. "'But!' sighed James B., as Mr. DeVant stayed on. "'If he would only go, then, like as not, Eliza Jane would let up on me about laborin' while I'm waitin'. This state of affairs became known to Janet through the tactless remarks of Mark Tapkins. She went at once to Billy to find out exactly what the doctor had said. Billy, from the highest moral position— "'prevaricated nobly, and left the girl with the impression "'that the condition of the suspected heart "'was really very desirable. "'It's this way,' he explained. "'All hearts is tricky, and once you know the tricks, "'why, there ain't no danger. "'It's like knowin' the weak points of a vessel. "'We ain't going to strain the weak points, once you know them, "'And like as not, the vessel'll last twice as long "'as a seaman's sound boat. "'Don't you fret, Janet.' James B can loaf a considerable spell if it's my goin' he's dependent upon, and no one more'n James B will be thankfuler for my hangin' on. Davy's funeral calls had had a beneficial effect upon the community. More than one woman said afterward that it looked as if Susan Jane's mantle had fallen upon Davy's shoulders. He said to me, and Missus Joe G's catlike eyes glittered. He said as how to his mind a gossiper was like a jellyfish, sort of slimy and transparent, and when you want to clutch it, it stung. I asked him right out flat-footed what he meant, and he told me to think it over. More than Mrs. Joe G. thought Davy's words over, and, as a result, turned their attention to getting ready for the winter. The oyster boats dotted the bay, The wood was piled near the kitchen doors, and the Methodist minister, with a sigh of relief, came down from the mental pinnacle upon which he had endeavored during the summer to attract strangers, and preached sermons from his heart to the hearts of the Quintonites. A donation party was in the air, too, and the needy pastor grew eloquent along generous, ethical lines. Eliza Jane, in a detached and injured manner, "'continued to cook up at Bluffhead. "'The master, feeling that at least he paid for the necessity, "'ate in peace, but Saxton, "'who fell between the aristocracy of Devont's ideas "'and the Quintinite ideal, "'suffered cruelly from his plebeian position. "'Only a vague hope of city life and pleasures "'held him to his position. "'And Devont was undecided as to what he should do.' Thornley had not looked him up after seeing Catherine. Indeed, that rigid young man had sailed, within the week, for point comfort, and Devant, fearing to meet Catherine alone, had hurried back to Bluff Head, there to be confronted by his past in a most crushing manner. So unlooked for and appalling was the resurrected ghost that it had stunned him and left him unable to act he feared to make a false move and waited for Janet to point out the way. But the girl remained upon the dunes with Billy, and the bay seemed an impassable barrier between them and Bluffhead. To go to Billy and demand the sequel to the pitiful story of Mary Andrews's life was out of the question. Mr. Thorndyke was long since dead and had left no papers nor books to help any of his clients in their affairs. While he lived, he had served them faithfully, according to his light, but he felt that in dying he cancelled all obligations. Suppose Mary Andrews had gone to Captain Billy with her secret buried from sight. Who was he that he should deal the faithful man at the station a blow that might end his life? Surely his trust and peace? But Janet! There was the awful doubt— Thorndyke had said there was a child. Had he spoken true? If there were a child, was it that beautiful girl of the station? Devant's blood ran hotly as he thought upon his belief in heredity. Might it not be himself, instead of the poor mother, who was accountable for the Pimpernel? "'Good God!' he muttered. "'What would I not do for her?' train that keen mind so apt and greedy, fit her for a high place and, in small measure, redeem the brutal past, give her, perhaps, to Thornley. This thought stayed him. It might be by that power he would prevail, if only he were sure. He was standing before the mirror, tying his cravat as these thoughts ran through his tortured mind. Suddenly his hands dropped at his sides, and he strained his eyes at the reflection that met him. First it was the color of the eyes that held and amazed him, then an expression at once familiar and baffling. Was his own face, for the first time in his life, becoming known to him? Or was the face of that girl of the dunes crowding all other faces from his vision? Once, when first Janet's beauty had stirred him, He had noticed her perfect ears set close to her head. The ears were shell-shaped and pink. The left ear, near the lobe, had a curious inward curve unlike the right, a fascinating defect that added to, rather than detracted from, the beauty. It was like a challenge to attract attention. Devant now observed his own left ear. There, in coarser fashion, was the same mark. Through familiarity it had before passed unnoticed. Now it forced itself upon his consciousness like a witness for the truth. Slight as these things were, they turned the strong man weak. He dropped into a chair and rang for Saxton. "'Bring me some coffee,' he said. "'Make it yourself, and make it strong.' Yes, sir. And if it ain't presuming, I would like to say that there is more than the coffee what is weak, sir. The cookin here ain't what you're used to, sir. The club table or that at the hotel is more nourishing. Saxton had put in his suggestion and went his way comforted. The coffee braced the shaken nerves, and again Devant went to his mirror as to a friend the color of the eyes had changed. Janet's eyes were never so pale and dull. The complexion was grayish-white, the haunting lightness was gone, but the curious curve of the left ear stood in bold evidence and called for recognition in the final reckoning. "'A thousand might have the same,' thought the troubled man, but he had never noticed it but twice in all his long life. After breakfast that day, he went for a walk in the scrub oaks. He dared not go to the lighthouse, but he saw no reason why he should not walk upon the path leading to it. The damp, sodden leaves sent up a pungent odor as his feet crushed them. A smell of wood smoke was mingled with the salt air from off-sea. It was a perfect late autumn day, with a warning of winter in its touch. Devant walked slowly with bowed head. He was pondering as to what he should do in the future. His life had never seemed more useless than it now appeared with the glaring doubt in his mind. Suddenly he was aware of someone approaching, and he raised his eyes, hopefully. It was Janet, and the breeze, lifting her hair from her face, left the little ear exposed. It was that upon which the man's gaze rested. "'Good morning,' said the girl. "'I was coming to Bluff Head.' Janet was the one more at ease. Her struggle had been along clearer lines. "'Going up to read?' asked Devant uneasily. "'The library is yours, my child.' The last words had a possible significance that was well-nigh heartbreaking to the man. "'No, I—I I want to say something—to you. I did not seem to be able to come before—' A rare dignity touched the girl. Her womanhood appeared to have taken on a queenly attribute, but the language of this new womanhood was still to learn. She had spent the night at the light— and the latter part of it she had shared Davy's watch. Together they had freshened up from the little balcony, and the calmness of the stars and David's philosophy had set their seal upon her. She was brave and tolerant. She had chosen her path, and with the courage of the dunes she was ready to tread it wherever it might lead. "'Shall we walk on?' asked Devant. It was easier than to stand still so they slowly turned and went toward bluff head i know the even voice fell to a whisper i have just found out that that captain billy is not my real father devant staggered under the blow the terse directness a part of the girl's nature and training was embarrassing to the man of the world You are sure of that? he asked, when he could control his voice. Yes. Do, do you know who your real father is? Janet looked fearlessly up into the haggard, eager face. Yes, I know. Who told you? Captain Billy told me that he is not my father. He does not know who my father is. My mother was very faithful to you and to him. He told me how she came to him afterward. She did not want Captain Billy to save her his way. She thought it was not fair to him, but Captain Billy had but one kind of love. He married her, and he took care of her. You don't know how cruel these people can be to to girls like my mother, but Captain Billy knew— and he saved her the dark eyes were blazing be less hard my child groaned devant turning his face away god knows i have suffered janet paid small heed to the words or to the man beside her at the last she went on bravely they were happy in a beautiful way for a little while then she died, but I was left, and Cap'n Billy loved me and cared for me. He was father, mother, playmate, everything to me. The eyes softened, and the girl turned and faced her companion. And, she breathed hoarsely, you and I must keep him from ever knowing the rest. The rest? Devant asked slowly yes about you i am not doing this only because i love him better than anything else on earth i am doing it for my mother it is all that she and i can do for him will you promise devant leaned against a tree motion was no longer possible janet stood in the path and waited the brute instinct arose in the man's heart This was his child. In doing for her lay the only expiation possible for him in the world. What were the claims of that man over on the dunes compared to his, should he powerfully press them? What if Captain Billy had given his life to the doing of a duty belonging to another? The tempter now took on a virtuous, unselfish guise. Think what the girl's life might be could any true love even such stupid love as billy might bear her stand in the way no billy would be the first to relinquish his hold upon her with the calm steady waiting eyes upon him devant dared not urge his first claims of parentage he would appeal to her reason this is hardly a question for you to put to me he said I must see Captain Billy and talk to him man to man. "'What for?' There was a dangerous light in the girl's eyes. "'Because you have suffered for the wrong you did. You think you can ease your conscience by confessing to Captain Billy and making him suffer again?' Devant stared at her. "'You think it is for myself?' he asked. "'Who, then?' "'Why, for you! "'Can you not see what it would mean to you?' Janet drew back. "'You—you want to do things for me? "'You who left my mother to die?' A fine scorn shook the low voice. "'My God, do not be so hard! "'Only because you are young and blind can you speak so heartlessly.' "'Do you not see it is because I cannot do for her "'that I want now to do for you? "'I want it with all my soul, for her sake, as well as yours. "'I wish to undo, as well as I can, the bitter wrong.' "'Devant moaned. "'Captain Billy did that for you long ago. "'Your silence must be his reward.' "'Janet's face shone. Can you conceive, asked Devant hoarsely, what you are giving up? Yes. Now the shining eyes were misty. Over on the dunes, after Billy told me and I had chosen my course, I did think of the other way, just as I used to imagine things when I was a lonely little girl. Impossible things, you know. I thought of books and knowledge. AND OF THE GREAT BEAUTIFUL WORLD, AND ALL THE SOFT, PRETTY THINGS THAT I KNOW I SHOULD LOVE. I DID NOT THINK OR IMAGINE IN MY FANCY THAT YOU WOULD WANT TO GIVE THEM TO ME, BUT NOW THAT I KNOW THAT, IT DOESN'T MAKE ANY DIFFERENCE. EVERY TIME I THINK OF MY CAPTAIN BILLY, NOTHING ELSE MATTERS. TWO LARGE TEARS ROLLED DOWN THE UPLIFTED FACE. DEVANT FELT HIMSELF BAFFLED and anger rose within him. "'Suppose,' he said hoarsely, "'suppose I could offer you Thornley's love.' The stab was cruel, and the wound smarted. Under the soft brown skin the color died away, and the eyes widened and deepened. "'That is no gift of yours,' she whispered proudly, And I know now what happens to girls like my mother and me when we forget. Devant recoiled. Then a shame humbled and stung him. Do not judge him by me, he said. I do not. The words were hardly above a whisper. But you know and he knows there is a bar between us, and we must sail wide if we would not be wrecked. He would not hurt me, nor let me hurt myself. That is why he went away. But, and Devant was himself again, broken, beaten, but himself. If Captain Billy should ever leave you, should die, you understand, will you not promise to send for me? When you are older, you will judge less harshly. Will you promise to let me come next to Captain Billy?' He stretched out his hands, pleadingly. Janet hesitated for a moment. Then she placed her slim, brown hands in his. "'I do not know. How can I tell? I thank you, but I cannot see any further than Captain Billy. Goodbye.' "'Goodbye, my child.' Their hands dropped, and they went their ways. Janet was not permitted to reach the light without further trouble. The day was doomed to be freighted with heavy cares. In the depths of the scrub oaks she came upon Mark Tapkins, sitting upon a log and looking as nearly tragic as he, poor slow fellow, could look. When he heard Janet, he raised his heavy eyes to her face. "'I've been waiting for you,' he said. I saw you talking to Mr. DeVant as I came across lots. I've got to tell you. Tell me what, Mark? The girl thought another outburst of love was coming, and it seemed such a shabby, poor little thing in the gloom of recent happenings. And yet this roused her pity. It was so much to Mark, and it was his most sacred offering. She should not despise it. "'Bout Maud Grace,' Janet started. So it was not herself after all. "'What is the matter with her now?' she asked. "'She's gone.' "'Gone where?' "'The nation only knows.' "'Well, Mark, I never have understood your interest in Maud Grace. "'You couldn't act more devoted if you were her lover.' "'except in that case you would not have gone "'on that foolish hunt for her border. "'Janet was impatient. "'She wanted to get away over to the dunes "'to peace and Billy. "'When Maud gets ready, she'll come home. "'Doesn't her mother know?' "'Janet, you've got to stay and listen.' "'Mark, I'm tired. "'I cannot help any. "'I want to go home.' You've got to listen, Mark repeated doggedly, and as the girl took a step forward, he caught her skirt in his trembling fingers. First, I took an interest, cause... cause I thought I loved you, and I didn't want you smirched. The words were flung out desperately, and they had the desired effect. Janet started, and then stood rigidly intent. Smirched? "'she repeated slowly. "'What do you mean?' "'And yet, as she asked the question, "'light was borne in upon her, "'light that had had its origin in the awakened womanhood. "'I kind of guess you didn't know what I mean, Janet. "'And I wish to the Lord I had let you help from the start. "'There ain't another soul as I can go to here "'until it's too late to do for Maud Grace. "'Not a soul but you.' "'And God knows, I don't understand how it is I can hope from you, "'but I can. I just can. "'You won't be hard, for all, you don't love Maud Grace much. "'I know, true as heaven, you'll be gentle to her now, "'when you wasn't before.' "'The poor fellow's face was distorted and quivering, "'but he had no need to hold Janet. "'She had come close and was resting her hand upon his bowed shoulder.' "'Mark,' she whispered, "'you mean—you mean—' "'The man nodded dumbly. "'And, of course, they would all turn upon her. "'They do not seem to know any reason for showing mercy. "'Oh, I do understand.' "'The dark eyes blazed, then softened under a mist "'as memory recalled the pitiful story of that other Quinton girl.' and Mrs. Joe G.'s kindness that black night when she, Janet, was born. But now there was no Cap'n Billy to pilot this sad little wreck. "'I don't know what to do,' moaned Mark, covering his face with his thin, rough hands. "'I can't bear to think of her driftin' off, Lord knows where. And I don't believe she's got a cent. and even if she walked to the city, she can't never get him.' No, Janet was thinking quick and hard. When did she go? She went for breakfast, and she told her little sister to tell her mother she'd gone to you. To me? Yes, and of course that was just to spare for time. Of course. Well, Mark, we must find her, and then she may stay with me. Janet drew herself up very straight, and there was defiance in her action and expression. Are any of the boats gone? Lord knows, shivered Mark. But she wouldn't try a boat. She can't sail fit for anything. She's got the fear so many down here has for the water. Don't you remember? But the suggestion brought a new agony to the poor fellow. "'Whatever made you think of a boat?' he said. Suddenly a further knowledge, born of the new womanhood, almost blinded Janet. This simple fellow, suffering at her feet, had never loved her. She had but led him far afield in some strange fashion. He had always loved the missing, giddy girl, and this awful trouble had driven the dense fog away forever. In the clear view... Janet's heart arose in sympathy. "'You love her, Mark?' she whispered. "'Oh, I understand.' The man looked at her stupidly, clasping and unclasping his bony fingers. "'Do I?' he said brokenly. "'I thought it was you. As God hears me, I thought it was you. But now this has happened long of the— the poor little thing— it's kind of knocked me down. I always felt sorry for her. You had so much, and she had what you might say nothing. I always was a master hand for wantin' to help, and when I saw you driftin' off to the hills, I wanted to help you, and I thought I loved you. And now I want to help her. I'm poor shucks, Janet, and not over keen. BUT I'M FAIRLY FULL OF TROUBLE NOW. HE BOWED HIS HEAD, AND THE BIG TEARS SPLASHED UPON HIS ROUGH HANDS. IN ALL THE PAST, JANET HAD NEVER SO RESPECTED HIM AS SHE DID AT THAT MOMENT. ALMOST REVERENTLY, SHE TOUCHED THE BENT SHOULDER. IT MAY NOT BE TOO LATE, DEAR MARK, SHE COMFORTED. WE'LL FIND HER, AND ALL MAY BE WELL. THE BEST MAN I EVER KNEW DID WHAT YOU MAY HAVE TO DO, MARK. FORGIVE AND FORGET, AND LET A GREAT LOVE HAVE ITS WAY." THE POOR FELLOW COULD NOT SEE INTO THE FUTURE. THE REMORSEFUL PAST AND THE PAIN-FILLED PRESENT ENGULFED HIM. "'She used to want me,' he groaned out, "'for the boarders come. She used to come up to pause and act up real pert and comical.' "'Maybe if she hadn't, I'd a noticed her more. "'Ah, uh, if I'd only been content to see it then, I might have saved her. "'I was only up to Maud Grace's limit, but I was always a-thinkin' I was more. "'And then when she took to the borders, I got mad, and—and—' and... "'Janet knelt upon the leaves and bent her head upon Mark's knees.' Never in her life before had she so touched him, but she knew now that he and she were out in the open where no future misunderstanding would darken their way. He needed her, and she needed him, and poor lost Maud needed them both. "'Don't take on, Janet,' Mark touched the bright head with clumsy, reverent hand. "'It weren't any fault of yours.' I did all I could to bring myself up to a point that I hoped I could reach you from. But it weren't in me. I was about Maud Grace's limit, as I say, but I didn't want to own to it. And now—he gulped bravely—it ain't much of an offering. I'm a poor shoat, but if I could, I'd use my wuthless life for her. It's about all I can do. "'And it is the greatest thing on earth, Mark,' Janet smoothed the rough hand. "'Maud will never come to you. You must bring her back, and I will help you both.' "'Go, Mark, go look at the boats. She had no money. She could not hope to walk far. In desperation she may have tried to get away by water.' Mark shook his head, but started obediently. Once he was out of sight, Janet turned into a side path and ran like a mad thing to the lighthouse wharf. The comrade was gone, and nowhere on the bay was the white sail visible. Janet raised her eyes and looked at the autumn sky. The calmness was ruffled near the horizon by ragged little clouds. The wind is changing, she murmured. The oyster boats are coming in. There is going to be a wicked storm before nightfall." The bland sky seemed to give the lie to such reasoning, but the trained senses of the girl could not be deceived. She trembled as if the coming cold already touched her. Her eyes widened, but her lips closed in a firmer line. Away around the cove she saw Mark putting out on the bay in one of James Smith's boats. He was reefed close and was making for the inlet, up Bay Endway. He had discovered from afar the absence of the comrade. "'If the men see the comrade,' Janet thought, "'they will think I am aboard, and no one will worry. But, oh, poor frightened Maud! By two of the afternoon the autumn sky was storm racked. The wind came up out of the sea with a fury and an icy chill. The oyster boat scurried homeward, and afar, Mark's lonely sail, was a mere streak of white in the dull gray. "'Nobody must see me,' Janet mused, clutching her hands close. "'If they have seen the comrade, they will think I am safe with Captain Daddy by now. "'If Maud's on the bay, Mark will find her and bring her home.' With that thought, the girl ran to the house. Davy met her at the lighthouse door. "'He looked like he'd been blown from kingdom come,' he said. "'By gum, this is a breeze. "'Had your dinner?' "'Dinner? "'Oh, yes, I had dinner. "'All I wanted. "'I didn't mean to be so late, Davy. "'I meant to get your dinner.' You're kind of pale around the gills, Janet. Davy looked keenly at the drawn face. Maybe you eat something that didn't set right in your stomach. Better take a spoonful of cure-all. Susan Jane always thought considerable of that. I could have sworn I saw the comrade puttin' off this mornin'. I thought you'd taken a flyin' trip to Billy. Seen anything of Mark? Oh! "'Yes. I nearly forgot, Davy, but Mark may not be here tonight. He's—he's got business over at Bay End.' "'How did he go?' questioned Davy. "'By train?' "'No. He went in one of James B.'s boats. "'He's a tarnal idiot to do that in the face of this gale. He ain't no shucks of a sailor.' John Jones comes off from the station today, and he ain't over careful, being what you might say half fish and half daredevil, but John, he started right back when he left an order for me. Mark ought to have known better. Janet, what is the matter with you? Here, hold on, gal, till I get that cure all. Janet held on and smiled feebly as Davy poured the burning liquid down her throat. "Thanks," she whispered presently. "I was mistaken. I did not eat any dinner. Davy, I am hungry. I always need my food, Davy. You know how I am." She was laughing nervously. "Come on then," commanded Davy, eyeing her critically. "I ain't never seen you done up so by goin' without one meal before." I believe you're threatened with spepsy. It comes now and then with that emptiness in the pit of your stomach. That night Janet tried to sleep in her little room, but the fury of the storm and her heavy anxious secret forbade an instant's rest. At last, about midnight, she dressed and went up to Davy. He was standing near the entrance of the lamp, and his tired face was drawn and pitiful. "'By gum!' he ejaculated when he saw the girl. "'This wind comes straight from Greenland's icy mountains "'and ain't losin' any of its temper as it comes. "'The waves could be seen over the dunes long before sundown, "'and just hear that.' "'What is it, Davy?' Janet pressed beside him. "'It sounds like someone knocking on the glass.' "'And so it is, so it is.' least it's birds, poor dumb things, blown on land and makin' for the light. Being seafarers, like as not, they know the light is to guide em, and they come to what they think is safety. Poor, poor things! They beat the glass as if asking for mercy and shelter, and here I be a listenin' to them knocking themselves to death and unable to help. If the good God takes heed of the sparrows what falls, He ain't going to overlook the gulls. But it ain't much comfort to think on that when he lets em die, die right agin' the light. Gum, we ain't had anything like this since Tom Davis was caught in his skimmy over by the dunes twenty-five years back. Least we haven't had anything like it as bad so early in the fall. Come down, Davy, pleaded Janet. Don't stand and hear the poor birds beat themselves to death. "'Tomorrow they will lie thick in the garden. "'Oh, it is a fearful gale. "'And Tom Davis was so near the dunes that night, wasn't he, Davy? "'When his boat went over, he could have waded ashore, "'only he did not know where he was. "'And the fog hid the light. "'But everyone knows about Tom Davis, "'and if a boat did go over, a... "'a person would try to wade ashore.' "'Don't you think so, Davy, remembering as he would Tom Davis?' "'You got Mark on your mind, eh?' Davy came down to the little sitting room and turned up the lamp wick. "'Well, you bet Mark put in somewhere for this gale struck him. "'Tom Davis was different. "'He didn't take no precautions, ever. "'He was in his oilers and boots when he went over, and he wasn't reefed none.' He wanted to get here quick with a fair wind, if such a foul gale could be called fair. He wanted to take part in a show down to the church. But his time had come, and the curtain went down on him out there alone in his water-sogged boots and heavy oiler coat. Tom Davis was born for misfortune as the sparks fly upward. Him with them boots and oilers on in a gale such as that war Davy, what was that? Janet clung to the keeper, her eyes dark and fear-filled. It sounded most like a human call now, didn't it? said Davy, raising his head. It's a gull, that's what it is, Janet, a more knowing gull than the rest. Are you sure, Davy? It could not be anybody calling, could it? Gosh, no, no. What do you suppose anyone would be callin' for? Why, if he were in danger. Tain't anybody on the bay, Janet. City folks is gone, and the Quintonites ain't chancin' a pleasure trip in this gale. Get downstairs, Janet. It's just possible someone's knockin' and callin' below. Janet waited for no second bidding. Down the iron stairs she ran, and never paused until she reached the lower door. This she opened cautiously, and braced herself against it to keep out further entrance of the terrific wind. "'Anyone there?' she shouted. The noise of the storm alone replied. "'Anyone outside?' again she called. A soft something fell at her feet with a dull thud. It was a gull, broken-winged, its life beaten out against the glass of the light, Once again she shouted, "'Anyone there?' On the wind came that strange, weird call that had frightened her in the tower. It rose and fell piteously and passed on with the blast. "'I never heard that before tonight,' Janet murmured as she forced the door shut. "'It is new and awful.' She went into the living room and lighted the fire she would not try to sleep again. She made some coffee and carried it up to Davy. She dared not stay alone. For the first time in her life she was afraid and thoroughly unnerved. That morning, before Davy had come from the lamp, there was a knocking on the outer door and a pushing as well. Janet, coming down the stairs with the empty tray, saw the door open, and in the light of the gray still morn, For the storm was past, she recognized Mark in a yellow oiler with a sou'wester, nearly hiding his wet and ashen face. "'You found her?' the words broke from Janet like a sob. "'Not yet,' Mark's voice was slow and weak. "'We want Davy to come and help soon as he can. And can you let me have a cup of coffee, Janet? I'm most done up.' THE, THE COMRADE IS BOTTOM UP round BY THE POINT, AND I, I GUESS SHE WAS BEING BEATEN TOWARD HOME. BUT, BUT, Janet dropped the tray and ran to Mark. She drew him into the room and pushed him toward a chair. SIT DOWN, SHE SAID BROKENLY. SIT DOWN. YOU LOOK AS IF YOU WOULD DROP. SEE, I HAVE THE COFFEE ALL READY. IT WILL TAKE BUT A MINUTE. She hurried the preparation, and after she saw Mark gulp the strong hot drink, she asked quietly, but with awe in her voice, "'Can you tell me now, Mark?' "'There ain't much to tell. When a boat's bottom up in such a gale as was a blowin' last night, and only a poor little frightened gal was at the tiller, why, why, there ain't, what you might say, anything to tell.' "'Mark stared dully before him. "'He was tired and soul-weary. "'She's got away fast enough this time, Janet,' he went on drearily. "'It ain't likely anyone will be troubled setting things for her now.' "'Don't! "'Don't, Mark!' "'Janet was crouching by his chair, "'her tear-filled eyes looking wildly at his dull, vacant face.' We, you and I, were trying, you know. Yes, but it was uphill work, and would have been worse, like as not. It ain't easy setting straight a botch like that. I guess this is the best way. Don't take on, Janet. Seems like she always got the rough part, but you couldn't help that none. I guess you'd been the quickest one to help her if she'd cried out to you. But even you couldn't have helped much. Janet heard again in fancy the weird call of the night. No, I could not help, she shuddered. Where are you going, Mark? Back to the bay. They're dragging round by the point. Her father's there and some others. I found the comrade for daybreak and got them up. If Davy can lend a hand later, tell him to come along. He was the one what found Tom Davis, they say. Davy seems to have a sense about where to look. With his heavy oilskin coat hanging loose and his head bowed, Mark went back to do all that could be done for poor Maud Grace. End of Chapter Twelve. Recording by Roger Moline.